Yeah, so this morning I kind of wanted to offer up a prayer. This is a prayer from uh, Olivia Mash White. She is a professor of genetics. Uh, it occurred to me this weekend, or this week, that it might be a good idea to kind of find some prayers from scientists uh, and pray these prayers with them and perhaps for them. So if you would read along, not necessarily out loud, I just realized what I said. I'll read this prayer if you will read this as we go yourselves and uh, let's pray to our God. We thank you, O God, for the wisdom and knowledge you bestow on scientists who work at revealing the secrets of creation. We stand in awe and wonder at the history of the universe and of life on this planet. This knowledge strengthens our faith in your creative power. We are grateful for this wonderful creation and for being a part of your blessing. Praise be to you, O God. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been doing, uh, taking a moment to kind of um, look at recent scientific developments at the beginning of, of class, and what we've done for the last few weeks is focus on things coming out of the James Webb Telescope um, and some of the things it's showing us about our universe. We're going to kind of pivot uh, this week and look at um, a discovery in archaeology that has, has come out. Um, and so this might be a headline you, you would see. This sounds pretty uh, extravagant. The oldest scaled-down drawings of human-made megastructures go back 9,000 years. But I'll show you what that actually means. So they found this. And this is obviously a, a rock. Um, they've, uh, they've kind of sketched out on the side. Yeah, you're safe. Uh, so they've sketched out like what, what's happening, uh, a little bit more, more relief so you can kind of see some details. What this actually is, is a map. And it's a scale map of a very large structure that humans created. And what's kind of incredible about this, to the people who discovered it, is this is um, twice as old as any previous known map of this sort. And um, it reflects a level of knowledge of spatial mathematics and relationships that is really surprising. So this is, you might think of this as uh, the first road sign. People uh, are herding uh, animals and hunting animals, and they come to this sign, and they look at it, and they see a map, and they understand how to herd those animals towards certain things. And uh, this is a map of what's called a desert kite. And so this is kind of a large structure, uh, multiple kilometers around where it has this rock wall and it's basically corralling animals. These are ancient cowboys, and they are mapping out, um, out how to uh, do this and where the, uh, where the animals are going to go and the different things, and so doing their strategy accordingly. So we kind of maybe think of ancient humans as sort of passive, right? They live in the world, maybe they hunt and gather and so forth. They don't really think in these large-scale terms. In fact, that's not accurate. Our ancient ancestors were engineers and they were map makers and they were mathematicians and they were scientists. Mike, I'm sorry, I meant this. Where is this? Yeah, so this is uh, specifically in, uh, so there's actually two things. Uh, one of these is in Jordan and the other is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, two similar stones they, they looked at and found uh, uh, this stuff. So this is uh, a known kind of structure that people created. And this particular thing, finding a map of it where people had actually worked out their proportions and the directionality 
was the really surprising part. So that's a little vision of our, of our ancestors there. Uh, all right, so we're going to do a, a responsive reading of Psalm 8. And uh, as we did last week, uh, Daniel's going to read the text in white, and then uh, you're going to read the text in blue. Okay? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. All right. Well, so we are going to um, take a moment um, to kind of look back over what we've, we've covered in the last few weeks. Um, so the first, uh, first session we did, we talked about um, how people engage the relationship between science and religion, science and faith. We talked about um, these kind of three paths that uh, people often take. And these are paths that I've seen in my friends and people I grew up with, uh, people I know. And we also see it kind of in our culture at large. And so the first path is a, a path of conflict. It's, it's identifying consensus science and faith as being in this inevitable kind of tension that's just irreconcilable. And often then that will lead to you have to make a choice. Do you go with faith and reject consensus science or do you go with consensus science and reject faith? Right? And that's a hard, hard thing. And a lot of people try to like do both and it, it's it leaves um, both your, your if you manage faith in this sense, uh, it leaves it impoverished. Uh, but often people don't manage faith. They ultimately leave faith behind um, in favor of, of science in this case. The second one is, is irrelevance. And this is a situation where maybe you reconcile these intellectually. You say, okay, you know, I can read scripture in with... Um, you know, with narrative and context, I can think of it in these, these other terms and I can kind of eliminate the conflict that I, ha- that I see between consensus science and faith. And if that's all we do, a lot of times that's fine, but it leaves people in a situation, well, I, there's just these two separate worlds. There's a world of faith and a world of science and these don't really go together. They don't really say very much to each other. And if you find yourself in that situation, then you might find yourself saying, well, science can show me all these profound things about the universe. It can show me things that provoke awe and wonder. It can show me things that tell me where I'm coming from and where I'm going to. Why do I need faith? And People live in this space and they struggle with this. There are conferences that friends of mine have gone to. Why Christian? Why? Why would I? What is there still in this for me? When I've got, when I live in a modern scientific and technological world, what does faith actually offer? So we move beyond the the conflict 
but we don't know how to bring them together or how to see a place for one and the other. The third one is relationship, and that's where we see um, that faith and science are actually intrinsically, deeply connected. And if we see this, if we take this path, then what it can lead to is that science can, um, can actually strengthen and deepen our faith. And science can actually show us ways that faith really, truly matters. This is a path that I've been on. I've gone through some of these paths, and this is the path that, um, that I've found myself on, and I've seen other people on this. And this is a profoundly um, meaningful um, and inspiring path to see science and faith as actually deeply integrated. And so that's where we really want to steer in the course of this, um, of this class. And so this was our class objective, to move from fear, anxiety, and apathy about science and faith and their relationship to recognizing science as part of the work of God. And um, that's where we want to go. And, and work of God... Really, we're saying a lot more things. There's a, it's part of our relationship with God. It's part of the dynamic interplay of, of God and humanity. So that's where we want to go. And so last week, we talked about the idea, the biblical idea, that creation is revelation. We talked about the fact that God has two primary names in the Christian tradition. But, and you can see this in the Apostles' Creed, and you can see it in the Nicene Creed. They open by saying, God is Father... God is creator. And in scripture, this idea that God is creator looms so large, we sometimes almost miss that it's there. Um, but according to the scriptures we looked at in Psalms, in Proverbs, in the New Testament, this idea, if God is creator, then God in doing creation, in working with creation, has revealed his wisdom and nature and character. And so we looked at scriptures that actually call us to study creation and to learn from creation uh, the character, wisdom, ethics, knowledge of God, and apply that in our own lives. And um, so that, and that wisdom that we're supposed to find there tells us about God Tells us about the cosmos, tells us about ourselves, tells us God's nature, wisdom, and ethics according to Scripture. It informs our evangelism. We looked at New Testament passages that talk, that actually use um, scientific observation for evangelism, and it provokes worship, maybe more than anything else. And so, if we think about where we've gone uh, so far, then we we've already dealt with, hold back a little bit, <laughs> a little bit tight, uh, we've already dealt with, um, started to address the objective for the class, right? Um, because we've already started to say that science is a human calling, that God in scripture calls us to scientific investigation to inform our relationship with God. So what I want to do today is to try to give that a deeper scriptural foundation. We've looked at Psalms, we've looked at Proverbs, we've looked at things that Jesus said and Paul said and so forth. Um, but to really ground this in the, the Christian story, I think we're going to need to start at the very beginning. Before we do that, though, um, 
I, I want to talk, we'll need to talk about a few definitions. And, and since the beginning of this class, Daniel has been after me to define my terms. And I've been kind of avoiding it because um, my definitions are really kind of um, ridiculously simple. Um, I understand science as pursuing knowledge about the physical world. I understand technology as applying knowledge to the physical world. Um, that should maybe raise some questions. So, uh, do you, does, does this raise any questions for you? Do you have any any uh, thoughts? Or yeah. Um, there's a. I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Well, there's a book I read called Technopoly, mm. and the author's name is escaping my mind, but he's written several. Neil Postman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Really great stuff. And I, I came away from reading some of his books with the idea that technology is anything that can uh, organize or store or, you know, like categorize. And, and there's some other words that aren't coming to mind right now, but information can, yeah. can hold, store, uh, transmit. Yeah. or organize information. In, in that definition, books are a technology. Yes. You know, in anything, whether it be an iPod or phone or like mm -hmm. all that. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I think I, looking at it from the, the, the um, area of information storage is interesting because um, in a sense, um, I, would, I would see like all of our technology embodies knowledge. Right when we build a wall, there's there's definite knowledge that had to go into like constructing that, how these things fit together, and so it does contain knowledge. And further, it um, it it sort of provides knowledge to our environment. Um, so we saw the, that stone that acts as a map, right? And um, and there are all these ways in which basically we are putting knowledge back into the world with this. Um, we're, we're learning something and we're, we're putting something in there. And, um, and what you're saying about books are technology, absolutely, this is true. I, you know, I think we, we think of technology as phones and computers. Electronics. Electronics. But technology, like our ancestors were building fire, right? Building fires. Our, um, our digestive system is adapted to cooked food because they did this so long ago that we've had time to biologically adjust, right? Humans have been technological since the big beginning, right? Like that is a technology. Clothes are a technology. Um, certainly weapons, all these, these sorts of things that we, uh, that we know ancient humans were doing. All the kinds of agriculture and, and, and shaping a, of, of life that they were doing, I, I would see that as technology. Yeah, any other comments, questions? Yeah. Just, just for the fun of more discussion, so yeah. does science stop at the spiritual? Hmm. Yeah. So you're saying can science apply to the, the spiritual, or is that like off limits, basically? Something like that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe say it again. So like. Um, oh yeah. So generally held beliefs. That used to be that are not in Say, for example, the, the 
universe is not 7,000 years old, it's yeah. billions because of carbon dating right. and other things. And we are not from Genesis, we are from what Charles Darwin says, origin of species. Right. Uh, and that the Earth is not the center of the universe. Right. Because of scientists coming up with different truths. Yeah. And so, so what? I mean, it's not the way you understood it before when you didn't know what you were talking about. Right. Does that mean, how does that view your, yeah. your idea of God? Yeah, so um, there's a lot we could talk about there. Uh, maybe just a, uh, a short thought is that um, these scriptures that tell us to seek out like behold the heavens, you know, like all this, um, they expect us to be surprised, right? If we already knew all the knowledge there, we wouldn't need to, to seek it out. We wouldn't need to um, learn from God's creation if we knew everything there. So something, it's always going to be a matter of surprise, right? We're always going to come to it with our conceptions of things and find out something about how we imagine things is going to be different. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, on the, the question of... Um, the physical and the spiritual world, um, there are, kind, my understanding of it, sort of the way of the kind of philosophy that I buy into about this is like, there's a, a demarcation between um, science and other ways of, of seeking knowledge. They're all um, similar in that they are seeking knowledge, but they are kind of defined by relationships with what we're seeking knowledge about. And I, I understand science to specifically be a seeking knowledge about the physical world. Now, um, Saying that, we've already looked at scriptures which anticipate that we can seek out knowledge about the physical world and then understand ethical principles. We, we saw, like, the, the psalmist says that the laws of God which govern the, the universe are also connected to the laws which govern our lives, right? So with a term like social science, mm-hmm. then is that just, that's just a separate thing because of that modifier? Because it's, you know, not the physical, so, I mean, in some ways, but like, yeah. if you're looking at sociology or yeah. things along those lines, it's not hard and soft science. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's, um, you know, that's a good question, and I don't know quite enough to, like, analyze it. it my first thought is like, well, there's a sort of way of approaching uh, social things as physical, right? Like, that's sort of what we're doing. But um, my, my thinking about that in terms of, like, demarcating between physical and other sorts of things, it, that's kind of informed by um, Karl Popper, who's a uh, philosopher of science and kind of, um, kind of formulated the idea of falsification, which is a, a big idea in how science is currently done. And so... Um, I think he would challenge a lot of, uh, of what we call scientific fields and say, well, can you falsify it? Can you create a theory that we can actually test and, and, and prove or disprove? Maybe, you know, uh, there's, there's certainly some, some interesting boundaries there, and that would be, you know, a lot of people have different, different opinions. Yeah? Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but like there, so there's a lot of research on how... Um, spiritual acts and contemplation affect our physical self yeah. that are scientific. I mm-hmm. a lot of fMRI work on Buddhist monks yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, I think 
I don't know if I, I don't know if I have a question or a comment even. It's just that that that, that line yeah. gets like gets we can worried, observe yeah. how the pursuit of spiritual right connection affects our, yeah. our bodies, yeah. our brains. I yeah. Think one of the things that makes the that con that the conversation that Fred raised problematic is spiritual is one of those words that we use, so we all think we mean the same thing by it. But do we really mean the same thing, and do we really know what we mean? Like, I'm sitting here looking at the definition and pulling it apart, and uh, I'm thinking, should we say, you brought up social sciences, should we say material world versus immaterial? <coughs> is spiritual necessarily yeah. immaterial? You know? yeah. It impacts. I mean, that's the, at, the, at the very base you want to say, that's what spirit is, it's immaterial. Okay, well, that's not good enough. We need more than that. But it clearly overlaps, like you were saying. Definitions of terms are my obsession. <laughs> I would say knowledge about the world okay. as a whole, because, like you were saying, so many things they thought were spiritual in nature end up being physical. Like, oh, I like. I would say a hearty amen to that, yeah. Huh? I would say a hearty amen to Because, you know, I mean, our, uh, my grandfather was a physician. Um, a uh, long, long time ago, and he was very revolutionary because he said, I think they're going to find out that all of these things they think are are psychological or are spiritual are really physical, like epilepsy. He used to think it was like you were possessed, you had epilepsy, now they know it's the brain. You know? uh, if you were depressed, it was like, oh, something's wrong with you. Well, it's your brain. So I think... So, so many, it, it's fluid, it's, it's physical and spiritual is fluid, yeah. and they affect each other. Well, we know, and, and we know that from our own experience, because you know that when you are in a spiritual bad, spiritually bad place, you feel bad. You feel something in your gut, you feel something inside, you get a knot, you get afraid. On the other hand, if you are in a spiritually good place, you feel physically lighter. And, and one more thing, yeah. I think. I think also uh, defining, and, and this doesn't happen so much anymore, but I think sometimes the church still does it, defining um, depression, anxiety, OCD, things that are making them spiritual issues is harmful. Like, if you had more faith, you wouldn't feel anxious about things. If you had more faith, you wouldn't have this thought or this whatever. And, and that has harmed people physically and, and religiously. You know, it's turned them away from the church. It's done a lot of people have lost their lives over it, um, thinking, I'm not spiritual enough, and, and they're severely depressed, and they commit suicide. I'm just going to get vulnerable. That's what I hate. Um, I, I mean, I, I personally struggle with depression and anxiety, and I know that when I am well medicated, I am I am capable of showing up for people and showing up Amen. spiritually in the world in a way that when I am not, you know, when I'm not physically treating symptoms, I'm not able to be as spiritually well. Absolutely. And so it takes both of the things. Right. It takes both. And, and the fact that, that the church, and like I said, not so much anymore, but we'll say, you know, oh... <laughs> Even, we were members of a very large megachurch that the pastor uh, suffered a severe bout of anxiety. He actually wrote a book about it, made a lot of money on it, and we were there the first week he talked about it, 
about how he was in a hole, how he was like didn't want to live anymore, and he went to some doctors and got help and came out came out of it and God you know God healed him whatever. Well, after that, and whenever he told the story, the part about the medicine never came out. So it's like he got away from saying that he had medicine. That oh God brought me out of the hole. God brought me, and it's like that upset me because I'm like you're telling people you're not being scientific. You're not following the science. So. Yeah, so I, anyway. maybe there's a larger point there about the way that we <laughs> divide um, our spirituality and our physicality, right? Like, So um, those are not divided in, in the real world. They're not divided in God's creation. Scripture doesn't see them as divided. We do demarcate certain things for certain purposes, but that, is, you know, that has a... A relationship to, uh, yeah, certain purposes. Um, yeah, and uh, let me go to John first, and then. Back several years ago, there was an experiment about praying over plants, and it seemed like that the ones that were prayed over did better, that there's a bleed over between yeah. faith and science, and I'm not sure if that's being pursued now or not. That's carbon dioxide. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> there is a connection between faith and science there, right? So, you pray and you breathe out. Yeah. We, because we are limited by our physical senses in, in so many ways, it's interesting to think about how so much of what we know or understand about the spiritual world is through metaphor of yeah. physical things. Yeah. And, and, you know, so many examples in scripture where they're talking about spiritual principles. Jesus was talking yeah. about spiritual principles, but using a metaphor of something physical like, you know, a seed or whatever it might yep. be. And and so I don't I have never really put it together till through this discussion that our pursuit of the physical world and understanding of that can reveal spiritual truths. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Creation reveals God's power, His wisdom. Yeah. And it, I think it's interesting because it, this is, I think, all through Scripture, and yet it does strike us as surprising, right? We don't, we don't tend to think in those ways because of the way kind of our culture puts those things together. So one question that this should raise, and we've talked about it in, the, in class already, uh, these definitions, uh, pursuing knowledge how? Right, like how how do we get knowledge? Right, we want knowledge. We're chasing after knowledge. How are we going to get knowledge? Google. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now we just Google. Uh, ask ChatGPT. Um, so part of that, and and we won't go too much into this, but part of that is scientific method. And scientific method, we we talked about. There's actually. In this church, we've been thinking about the method we use for Scripture, right? How do we read Scripture to get the knowledge out of it that we believe God has put there, right? Like, so we think about the method, and that's kind of an ethical deliberation, and it's a spiritual deliberation, and, and it's a philosophical deliberation. We're trying to understand what is the right method to use. 
And the same thing happened in science, and actually happens in science. This question of how do we do this? What is the right way to get that knowledge out of nature, out of creation, that we believe that God has put in? So the scientific revolution of the 17th century was less, in a sense, about science than about scientific method. Understanding what is the right approach. And... um, and that, um, just like with our scriptural, our approach to interpreting scripture, is in some sense an ethical question. There's an ethics that's involved there. And so when people tried to answer this question, just like when we try to answer a question about scripture, well, we look at scripture and we say, well, how does scripture actually uh, inform this? How does scripture give us examples of how to pull out knowledge. Right? They did the same thing with the scientific method, trying to understand what does scripture tell us about how to understand creation and seek knowledge about the world. So, um, so this does involve ethics, and so does technology, obviously. right? Like If we are applying knowledge, if we are pursuing knowledge, we have ethical questions. To what end and with what means? Right? And I think that to what end is actually incredibly significant. What are we doing this for? And not just, like, what are we doing when we apply knowledge, but actually what are we doing when we seek out knowledge? That's not a non-ethical domain. Seeking knowledge is profoundly ethical, as we've already seen. Like, there's a, a profound spirituality around it. So how do we make sure that we're doing it in the right way and for the right purposes and for the right reasons. So I, I want to bring these up to say, like, this is what we're talking about. We talk about science, we talk about technology, we talk about scientific method, ethics that we apply. But from a scriptural perspective, these are all deeply intertwined. Scripture does not pull these apart the way that we do. And scripture pretty much, as we've seen, always sees the pursuit of knowledge as followed by the application of knowledge. God calls us to to observe the heavens, to learn from them, to apply that knowledge in the world. These two things are not separate. And they're not separate from ethics. They're not separate from process. So, yeah. I was just going to point out, historically, the the irony of this notion of the past that Michael was pointing out, that they were in tension with each other, the scientific and the spiritual, yeah. and how historically the scientific method was used as a as a tool to further understand the creation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and came from came from that kind of informed spiritual desire, right? Um, these things here, from a, a scriptural perspective. I would say all fall into one general category, which we've already been talking about, which is the nature of God as creator and the nature of humans as made in God's image. And so I want to tease that out and show you kind of where I see that beginning. So what I, I want to do the next few minutes, we're, we're running real, <laughs> real close, so I'm, we're going to probably have to speed run this, but... I just want to look at at Genesis 1 and look at what it says about God and about us. So, Genesis 1, 
1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that tell us about God? He was there before. Okay. Yeah. What else? He's active. That's all we don't know how. Okay. We don't know how. He's active. Uh, busy. Yeah. Okay. What else? Power. Power. Yeah. Incredible power. Creative. Yes. Creative order. Yeah. Order. Yeah. So God is identified. We talked about the two names that we uh, use for God, Father and Creator. The first one is right here. God is creator. This is who God is. Right? Second, uh, second question I want to ask about this. Um, is God done with creation at this point? Yeah. I, I don't want this to get off, be off on a thing, but I recently was uh, watching something that was talking about how um, there's like a word left out in, oh. in this, in that it um, can actually mean that God created the alphabet and mm. like the the Hebrew alphabet. I've, the, I'm yeah, there's. I believe it's inspired, but um, again, that's just a parenthetical statement. Yeah, there are a lot of deep readings of this. Um, I, I want to suggest this is. Um, so create the heavens and the earth, right? That sounds like everything, right? And yet, Genesis 1 is a whole chapter that we call the creation week, right? So this is not all, right? And in fact, what the rest of the chapter does is shows us the nature of how God goes about creation. So it's not just a doctrine, God created, that's it. It's actually going to show us how God creates, what that looks like. So, uh, verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. What are the actions that God takes in this um, passage here? Separates the light from the darkness. Yep. He hovers. He hovers, yes. Um, created light. Yeah. He speaks. He speaks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he names. He names. That's important. Well, as you know, I'm somewhat heretical compared to most people. <laughs> I don't think so. That's I don't think so. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I believe that. That first sentence, creating, yep. he created the physical laws, yep. and the physical laws are playing out. Yep. And the rest of the creation is the way the physical laws play out. And this may not be exactly like we understand it now, but it's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and I would say it, it's um, what I want to do is read it as, as that story, right? Regardless of, of how we want to think about. Um, what's called a concordance, what this means in literal space. I want to read what this is telling us about that, right? So it told us that God was hovering. That's interesting. It told us God says, let there be light. There was light. 
Um, God saw, God observes, God evaluates the light is good. He distinguishes, he separates the light from the darkness. He names, he calls the light day, and the darkness night. And in naming that process, distinguishing those things and naming that process, he creates the context for recognizing a passage of time, a process, uh, a physical process in nature, right? There's a lot that's happening here. And I, I think it's profound. Something Fred mentioned earlier, God is engaged, right? God is looking and um, he's hovering, right? Like he's, he's waiting. He's, he's observing. He's, he's observing, yeah. And he's naming, and he's differentiating, and he's organizing, and he's evaluating, and all these things. Um, and um, so I'm just going to go through a couple more verses here. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and morning the second day. So God is, is doing something here. Um, unclear what the purpose is at this moment. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So we have actually a couple of more things. God is um, naming uh, things uh, just as before. God is uh, seeing, observing. He sees that it's good. Um, he is doing uh, something else here that, that um, I think is interesting. Let the land produce vegetation. He is calling forth the physical world's own creative potential. It's setting into motion. Yeah, so he, he says let the land produce vegetation and the land produced vegetation, right? So he, he sends out that, that instruction. The land does it and God sees that it's good. Right? God he, doesn't say I'm producing vegetation. Right, God is not micromanaging this process, right? He's, he's actually empowering the land with its own capacity to, to produce. Um, I think he's also providing. Okay. Before he set that vegetation in motion, he provided the land, the land to go to the soil yeah. and the water for the production of that vegetation. Yeah. And yeah. for the plants, and then the plants are provisioned. Yeah. He created the context for this, that thing to happen. And this is the first time that life actually appears in this story, right? Like, he created a context for that life to emerge. Um, we are out of time, so um, I'm going to make a couple more points here, and then um, and we'll go. Um, so God does this... Um, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. God allows create, uh, creatures to govern, right? To rule over things. He l lets the stars, the lights, 
the Son, and, and all this kind of stuff actually do this. So God is sharing his uh, capacity to rule just as he shared his creative power with the physical world. And, um, yeah, we're not going to finish this today, so um, we'll, co- we'll come back to this. Um, I, I kind of want to summarize the things that, that are going on here, um, but we won't get to the part about humans. So, Daniel, do you have a better idea about how to wrap up? Or? Okay. Yeah. So here's the things that I see um, happening here um, through the course of this story. God is observing and evaluating, naming and categorizing, cultivating, calling forth, organizing, empowering, and blessing. This is what it means for God to be a creator. So what does it mean for us to be humans in Genesis 1? Like, is this the point? Kind of wrap it up? But yeah. If you're familiar with the scientific method, this should be familiar you understand what scientific method, if you remember from 8th grade earth science, I think is where I learned it, you know, observation, categorization, um, you know, replication, repeat, that is the proto-scientific method, which I think is kind of where we wanted to land. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So, um, I'll just make this, this, this point. The early um, earliest people, going back uh, at least to the first century, but, but uh, probably earlier, understood this process as a process by which God was modeling the human creative process itself. It's, it's what it means for us to rule creation. We'll talk about that because that's conflicted for many people. Um, they understood science and technology are contained in the model that God gives us in Genesis 1. Science and technology are the imitation of God and God's creative process. And when we got to the scientific revolution, that is where people went. They said, what does God's creative process look like in Genesis 1? How do we emulate that in order to inform our own pursuit of knowledge and the application of knowledge in the physical world? We'll talk a lot more about those things uh, next week. Um, Last questions or comments? Thanks so much. Oh yeah, thank. (laughs) Threw a big, big wrench here at the end. (laughs) 